Uh, we are in the middle of our series. In fact, we're almost putting a book in. I'm going to uh, finish this series next week uh, with a message called uh, God's Dream for Every Single Human on the Planet. There are some dreams that are tailored to fit you, but there's also a dream God has for every single human on the planet. And so I hope you'll join us next week as we wrap up this series. It's been great finding God's dream, daring to dream big dreams that God has for us. And our keystone scriptures, the, uh, kind of the paramount scriptures we're basing this off of, there's a scripture found in the Old Testament tucked away in a little book called Joel, one of the minor prophets. And, and he says this statement in Joel, but then later God brings it back up in the New Testament on the day the church is birthed. And in the book of Acts, when the church is birthed on the day of Pentecost, uh, the apostle Peter stands up and he quotes from this little book of Joel. He quotes this scripture, and it's one of our keystone verses for this series called Dare to Dream. He says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. So prophecy is seeing something in the future. Visions, what, what are we going to look like down the road? Dreams of what hasn't happened yet that could happen. And God shows us that this scripture is important, so important, he would bring it back up at the birth of the New Testament church. And what I find interesting is that it's really about seeing, not really about Doing. We just talked about being hearers of the word and doers also and how important it is to be doers. But here's the deal. You can't do what God's called you to do until you hear and see what God's called you to hear and see. And that brings us to our next keystone scripture in Proverbs. If people can't see what God is doing. Say it with me. If people what? Can't see. One more time. If people what? What God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Try a lot of things. Try this. Try that. Try the other. Try to go here. Try to do that. But if they attend to what he reveals, if we will see what he wants us to see, that is the blessed life. Do, do not buy into the lie that blessing is, is all about what you got. Like, like blessing is all about the money. Um, that, that, that's, a, that's a lie. It's, it's, a, it's a twisting of the gospel. Is it okay to have wealth? Yeah. Is it okay to be well? Of, of course. Is it okay to have nice things? You bet. I like nice things. But, but our blessings really come when we see what God is doing and we become part of that. That's the blessed life. Now, we've talked about, you know, what do you do when you're in between dreams? Last week, we talked about uh, when our dreams take a detour. The truth is God wants to give people dreams. But the dream received, in fact, in your notes on the back of your worship guide, you can write this down. Dreams received and dreams realized. Like once you get a dream from God and then that, that dream actually happens, you'll notice that there's a whole lot of space between the time where you receive a dream and the time where that dream really comes into fruition. And there's some space there that's built in on purpose. And here's what happens in the middle of that space. It's called testing. Everybody's going to have some testing of the dreams that God's planted in you. You're going to test them. There's going to be people around you test your dreams. There is going to be an enemy who is, rear, who is real, who rears his ugly head, who is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. That is the real enemy. But here's another deal. God is going to test you in your dream. 
Now, that doesn't seem very fair. Did God, I thought God was for me, not against me. Why would he want to test me? I mean, like professors test me. I don't want to have a pop quiz. I don't want to be tested on this thing. Testing is important. Testing is critical to make sure, like, Parents ought to be testing their kids. Teachers ought to be testing their students. Automobile makers ought to be like, you know, I don't know, testing their vehicles. Like you're not going to buy that brand new 2019 whatever Ford. Like, hey, we haven't really tested this thing, but (laughs) go get them, slugger. Like you want things to be tested. Back in the day, we would say with like cereal, kid tested, mother approved. And actually, it was all full of sugar, and mother didn't even know what it was. But, like, if my kids will just shut up and eat breakfast, I'm fine. You're going to go through testing. And when God's the one testing it, sometimes we feel like it isn't fair. Can I just remind you of something? Write it down. God is not cruel. God doesn't test you like some cruel professor who wants to surprise you with a popcorn. Like, wants to make you not have the answers. Like, like, like that, that, that's just cruelty. God wants to give you, in fact, he's already given us everything you know. It is an open book test. All you need is in the word of God for every great decision you're going to make. The word of God is the moral compass for our lives. As parents, my job, uh, Janet's job, uh, our job is to, cre- is to help create great decision makers. That by the time they're 27, they will finally leave out of the house. I'm just kidding. That they will make great decisions, but not just be great deciders based on, I don't know, the way the wind blows or whatever culture says. But they will be great deciders because they have used the word of God as their true north, the moral compass for every decision they make from marriage to life to identity to finances. And the word of God is breathing and living in our moral compass. And he is not a cruel God. He has given us his word to help us pass the test. The truth is, if God gave you the dream and you realized it and it came into fruition as quickly as you wanted it, you wouldn't be ready for it. Anybody ever watch like my story about how I won the lottery? You know, like 90% of those guys that win the lottery, they're broke in a couple years. You know why? They weren't ready for the blessing. They weren't ready for the blessing. They got all the blessing. They got all the dream come true, but they didn't have the character to hold on to the dream. You see, sometimes... You've got giftings and abilities, and sometimes if you're not careful, those giftings and abilities can take you further than your character can keep you. So you you, you become an all-star. It's like like these guys in the NFL holding out for bajillion, squillion-dollar contract, and and, and 70-plus percent of NFL players declare bankruptcy less than a decade later. Why? They get a whole lot. They're working on the field, and they're working, and they're making the touchdowns. But if they don't develop the character behind the scene, if they don't go through the process of testing, they can't handle it. And some of you, you're not ready. I want the dream. You can't handle the dream. That's the truth. But if you'll allow God like diamonds that are formed under pressure, if you'll allow God, To end this space between the dream received and the dream realized. Okay, God, what do you want to do? Who who do I need to become? What kind of character do you want to develop in me? I'm going to tell you the best is yet to come. But you're going to have to go through some testing. The Bible is full of people that went through tests. Uh, One in the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is, 
is the story of a guy named Joseph. And his story starts right in the, the, towards the end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 37. Joseph is a real guy who faces real issues just like you and I face real issues. Some of you, you know, you come from a dysfunctional family. How many of you, just by the raise of hand, all locations, you, you got some dysfunction in your family? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. If you're not raising your hand, that's part of the dysfunction. You don't see it. You don't. That's the part of the problem. Like we all put the fun in dysfunctional. I'm telling you, you got some dysfunction. I got some dysfunction. This church has got some people with some dysfunction. You know why? Because we're people that are breathing. We are humans and we've got some dysfunction. Thank God he helps us and reaches us in the middle of our dysfunction to become more like him every single day. But we got to deal with some issues. And Joseph was no stranger to some family dysfunction. One dad, one dad who's got two wives, but he's also out of those two wives, he's got two other maidservants, all four of them having kids in the family. He's got, it's 12 boys, one girl. Joseph is the 11th. Born of the 13. Okay, you want to talk about real housewives of the Middle East? This is it, okay? Like, it's, it's a crazy, dysfunctional family. You think you and your one wife is crazy. Like, two wives and two mistresses, it's nuts in the Old Testament. Crazy. You ought to read your Bible. It's like, awesome. Now, Joseph, not only is he in the middle of this crazy family... He's, he's the preferred child. He's the favorite. Anybody, anybody born the oldest in the family? Anybody oldest in the family? A lot of counseling dollars here. A lot of counseling dollars. I know. I know. Oldest, you got to deal with a bunch of junk. I'm the oldest in my family. How many are born the youngest in the family? Look at that. Those hands raised so much faster. Like, mm, me. <laughs> youngest. <laughs> you make me sick. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Now, Joseph, he is not the oldest. And he's not the youngest, but he, he's the 11th out of 13. But here's the deal. He's the 11th, and the reason he's so important and so special is his dad, the girl he fell in love with in high school, like his high school sweetheart who he wanted. His high school sweetheart who he married could not have kids for, for years. And finally, Joseph was the very first child, his high school sweetheart. Out of the four women... That was the one he loved the most, and Joseph was her firstborn child. And so at Christmas, everybody else gets tube socks and oranges in the stocking, and Joseph gets a Nintendo Switch. And uh, Joseph, everybody else gets members-only jackets, but Joseph gets a Gucci jacket of all kinds of, like, popping colors. He's like, what, what? He's got crazy swagger. He's got crazy preferential treatment by his family. They just dote over him because he's, he's that special one. And he kind of knows it and he's a little, he's a little naive to it um, because God early on starts to give Joseph some dreams. And Joseph is going to be critical in the story of God laid out through the Bible. But Joseph is, is a dreamer, and God is giving him dreams. And in Joseph 37, or Genesis chapter 37, we, we begin to read. Joseph starts sharing his dreams with his older brothers. So he shows up to the field, and they're all plowing the field, and they're all working hard, and they're, they're doing their deal, and they're laying stuff down, and they're hammering nails, you know, you name it. And Joseph shows up, what's up, guys, in his Gucci jacket, and here's what happens. Guys, you'll never believe it, like, whoa, cray, cray, last night, I listened to this dream I had, okay? We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, 
Like you get like a, you know, a stock of asparagus there in the grocery aisle, like, like, it's like a stock of grain. We were, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly, it's crazy, my sheaf, it rose and stood upright. While all of your sheaves, it gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Crazy, huh? In the next scripture, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Huh? Will you actually rule us, governor? Look at you, little Mary Poppins. Thinking you're all this and that. I went from English to what, what? I don't know. I, it's a multiple personality preacher disorder here. You, you, you think you're going to rain us? Squirt? Huh? You think you're going to... You think you're going to do, you think we're going to bow down to you, Joey? <laughs> okay? Okay, Gucci Joe? Reuben's like, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to slap, I'm going to spirit a slap all over me right now. I'm going to beat my younger brother. And here's what happens. They hated him all the more. Not only did he have the preferential treatment, but his arrogance, they took it as arrogance. They, they, the dream, they, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They hated him all the more because of his dream and, and what he had said. Now, you think he would stop there because maybe he was feeling the hate, but he was a little naive apparently because then, very next scripture, he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, 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 this is crazy. I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Like, whoa. Now, when he told his father as well as his brothers... His father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? What, you think your mother and, your, and I and your brothers actually going to come down and bow down to the ground before you? And this part of the story ends with, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This morning this came to me. It's a sermon within a sermon. Let me give you a one-minute sermon within a sermon on this one scripture. I could preach the rest of the time on this. Listen to me. Some of you, your lives have been hijacked by what other people have said to you or not said to you, what they've done to you or not done to you, and you've let a seed grow in you of either jealousy or bitterness or unforgiveness or hatred, and they could not get past. They were totally in charge of how they respond to Joseph's dreams. They could have just rolled their eyes and said, he's a dreamer. He's a dreamer. He's the youngest. He'll, he'll grow. But they couldn't. And it led them down a path of major issues, major dysfunction, and sin. Don't let what other people say lead you like it's a gold ring in your, in your nose like you're some bull. But the father, the father didn't react to crazy and say, get over here and I'll spank your butt. He didn't, he didn't say, go to your room, you're grounded from Fortnite for a month. The father kept these things in mind. He rolled his eyes, yes. Well, you think mom and dad are going to bow to you? Go, go, go eat your cereal, you're grounded. But his father kept it in mind. If you will learn the wisdom of not being so easily offended at every single little thing people say to you. If you, will, if you will stop chasing down stupid little things on Snapchat and Facebook and Twitter and you name it, if you'll just keep the matter in mind, 
push it away, give it to God, grow some wisdom there. You'd be shocked at how much God will do through you and how much he will be your defense. Stop trying to be your defense. But that was the issue with the brothers. They couldn't get past it. And that little frustration turned into hatred, turned into rage. It turned into violence. And as they watched him another day start walking towards the field, they gathered together and they said, guys, we're going to kill him. Now, one of the older brothers said, no, 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 no. Stop. Calm down. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. And one of the older brothers says, no, 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 let's not kill him, guys. Calm down. He says, no, let's not kill him. Let's, let's just throw him into this well so he'll die without our touching him. I, it wasn't much better than killing him, okay? So they grab Joseph. They strip him of his coat of many colors. They throw him down a well. And they're going to leave him to die. But they're like, we can't leave him out here. And sure enough, just so happens there's this traveling group of slave traders that are coming through Canaan, headed towards Egypt. They sell Joseph to the slave trade for just a few shekels of silver. They take the robe, they rip it up, they pour an animal's blood on it. They go to dad with fake crying and they say, dad, Joseph, we found this, we don't know. And Jacob, the dad, is torn over it. His, his, his child, who he loves so much, is gone. His high school sweetheart's firstborn has been massacred in the field Little does Jacob know he's been betrayed by his own blood. And there are going to be some tests you go through that Joseph went through. Four tests that we're going to talk about. We could talk about many, but we'll just cover four tests today. If you're taking notes, write write this down. We see the very first test, and it's the test of rejection. Lean into me, Dieball and Duncan. Listen up, Nacogdoches. Lufkin, I hope you're not falling asleep. You are going to face rejection. A job's not going to work out. Someone who you felt didn't deserve it's going to get the promotion instead of you. The relationship that seemed perfect, something's going to happen and it's going to throw you sideways. You keep trying to earn the love of that parent when they just say it. Or you keep trying to let someone show, you want to show them they hurt you, but they just won't see it. And you have faced that rejection. You're going to go through that test. You're going to face times where, where you hear from the well your own flesh and blood talking about you. I thought I trusted them. I told them my deepest, darkest secret. And now, and now they're, they're talking behind my back about it. How could, you, how could you tell them what I told you? How could you, how could I? And we go through rejection. And then you know what happens with people that face rejection? We try and earn it back. And so we start looking through lenses of rejection and we start competing for people's love. We're willing to do anything. We're willing to settle. We've been single for so long. I don't, I just, I mean, my other friend, now she's getting married. I'm not married. We settle. And so we end up settling instead of staying single because we don't want to feel rejected. I want to promise you if you're waiting and you're feeling frustrated and you're feeling rejected and you're about ready to settle, don't do it, girl. Don't do it, guy. Better to be single Better to be single than married up with the wrong person. 
and, and, and all the married people that are married to the wrong person said a good amen. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. That would be, that would be our counseling hours. We just go through the roof in that moment. Like, Joseph faced rejection. And many people then, it begins to write their story. Would you write it down? It's not in your notes. Just write it, jot it down. Don't let rejection control the narrative of your life. It could have affected the way Joseph, Joseph could have pouted. Joseph could have got upset. Joseph could have killed himself at the bottom of the well. But he did not allow rejection to keep him from the dream God planted in his life. Sure enough, after the exchange happens, Joseph finds himself on a long journey through the desert into Egypt. And there at downtown Egypt, he is sold to a guy named Potiphar who happens to be one of the guards in, the, in Pharaoh's kingdom. Pharaoh is the ruler of the world. He is the strongest man on the planet at the time. And, and, and Pharaoh's guy, his captain of the guard, Potiphar, buys Joseph to work at the house. And he takes Joseph off the slave trade and he takes him into his house and he says, look, we got a lot of different things going on around here. Let's just start in, in the yard. I want you to mow, I want you to weed. And Potiphar begins to give Joseph little bitty tasks. For a guy who had a big dream that all the sheaves of wheat were going to bow down to him, now he's on his hands and his knees pulling weeds out of Potiphar's uh, landscaping. And sometimes you've got big dreams. You're like, why am I here? Let me tell you something. No matter what job you're in, do it as unto the glory of God and God will honor it. Joseph's dream wasn't to pull weeds for Potiphar. But he was faithful to God when he was pulling weeds. That's got to be you. If you're a Christian, you ought to be the hardest working Christian at your place of employment. People ought to be shocked. I can't believe you come to, come to work happy. You're like, oh, I mean, I'm not going to be doing this for the rest of my life. But while I am, I'm going to make a joyful noise. May I take your order, please? And do it with a smile and say, my pleasure. Like Chick-fil-A ain't the end of the story for you. But you can be a God-honoring person if you're working chicken. Okay, enough said. So, so Potiphar notices the landscaping's never looked so good. And so he says, Joseph, you, you know anything about cars? He said, man, I grew up with 11 brothers. We love muscle cars. He said, I got a 52 Chevy in the garage. I can't get it to start. You want to take a look at it? He said, I'll do it tomorrow. And sure enough, Potiphar wakes up, having his coffee. He hears from the garage. And it's like, what in the world? Goes out into the garage, and Joseph pulls out from underneath the engine. He's all oiled up. He's like, you know, I just had to tweak the, 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 the thingamajig. I did not grow up knowing motors, okay? All right, okay, don't judge me. He's like, I just had to turn this and twist that and add a little bit. He said, it's, it's, ready, to, it's ready to go. And, and Potiphar goes to work in style in his old school classic Chevy pickup truck. Potiphar gets back home after a few more weeks and says, do you know anything about Excel documents? And Joseph's like, I took some computer science in high school. He's like, I, my finances are kind of everywhere. Do you mind saying, I got it, boss. All of a sudden, all of Potiphar Enterprises, his money's coming in on his rental properties. He's making bank on his CDs. He's, he's investing his money. Potiphar's coming home wearing a new Rolex. He's like, Joe, Joe, my man, broker Joe. Like Joseph is doing everything. And the Bible says Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. 
With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Like, I love that. Isn't that hilarious? Like, I'm just, hey, you got it? I'm going to go and corral. <laughs> okay. And like Potiphar just enjoyed food. He enjoyed the finer things of life. And this is where we get to the second test that Joseph goes through. And a test that you're going to go through too. And here it is. It's the test of temptation. The test of temptation. Now here's something that the Bible tells us about Joseph in Genesis 39. Joseph was well built and handsome. Okay. Joseph was a looker. Joseph, kind of a stud. And after a while, his master's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, we'll call her Hotifer. Hotifer took notice of Joey. I mean, she's, she's sipping her Middle Eastern mojito poolside. Joseph's cleaning the pool, and she's like, hmm... Hmm. She dips down the Gucci glasses. Look at that drink of water. Huh. I'm thirsty. I for some Jojo. You guys don't read the Bible like that? That's how I read the Bible. I'm sorry. Now she notices Joseph, she notices Joseph from a distance. And no, you know, no wonder. Now, this isn't all on Potiphar, but, but can I tell you, um, when you have a husband that's only concerned is the food he eats, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe she's feeling a little rejected herself. And so, 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 so maybe, maybe she's feeling a little unloved and she's going to try and find that love somewhere. I'm not giving her, I'm not giving her an out, but I am saying... Husbands, love your wives. Wives, honor your husbands. Like, like, it's important that we put the first things first. After a while, she's had all she could stand, and she says, hey, come to bed with me. Like, it's not like, hey, you want to go get drinks later? She's like, look, I'm up in age. You're young. I'm old. I know what's going down in Chinatown. Come to bed with me. Here's what Joseph says. He says, whoa, 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 okay? He says, no, 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 no. Listen, Hotifer, my master trusts me with everything in this entire household. His pickup, the lawn, the bills, you. How can I do such a wicked thing as this? It would be a great sin against, and notice he changes from his master to God. Look, look at this, everybody. He had loyalty to his master, and he had love for God. Lo loyalty and love. Lo you ain't always going to feel love. Love's way more than a feeling. Love is a choice. And no, you're not always going to want to be loyal because your emotions will lie to you. But if you will engage loyalty and love, love builds loyalty, loyalty builds love. It is an incredible cycle that every relationship's got to have loyalty and love. Love and loyalty. The more you love, the more you're loyal. The more you're loyal, the more you love. It is a cycle. And Joseph shows us that cycle by loving his master, by lo being loyal to his master and loving his God. But like the cougar she was, she was relentless. 
Because the Bible says she asked day after day, day after day. Finally, one day, she gathers all the, 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 the employees of, of Potiphar Downton Abbey. And she says, here's Starbucks gift cards. I want you to go to the Starbucks, get yourself a nitro cold brew, enjoy it, come back at 11. If I see you back before 11, you're in trouble. Go enjoy it. Why? Because I just love you. You're a great employee. See you later. Go, 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 go. She empties out the house. Joseph doesn't know. Joseph picks up the mail from the front of the driveway. He's shifting through, you know, he's sifting through the, the Pottery Barn magazine and the car dealership brochure, getting to the electric bill, and he walks through into the foyer of the house, and he's, he's standing there, and he's got this crazy sound of silence because usually there's a whole lot of buzz in Potiphar's mansion, but it is completely quiet. You can hear a pin drop, and he's like, hello, 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 hello. And from the other room, he hears Hodifer say, hey, Alexa, play my jam. She comes out and she's like, yo, I asked you once. I ain't going to ask again. Come to bed with me. And she wrestles Joseph to the ground. And he's like going through PTSD. He's remembering being thrown into a well. He doesn't know. He's like, ah! He gets up. He runs. She grabs him. Joe, don't leave me. She rips his coat off. She's like, Alexa, stop. Anyway. So. Joseph runs out. He loses his coat, but he keeps his character. Oh, Jesus. He loses his coat, but he keeps his character. Pastor statement right there. But, but, but here's, the, here's the truth. Here's the truth. The testing was developing his character. Do you notice young, naive Joseph who doesn't even know who to share his dreams with? He's saying, hey, guys. Hey, brothers. Listen to the dream I had. Now he's developed his character through hard circumstances, and his character is keeping him from losing everything of the dream of God out of one moment of, of maybe, maybe it would be great with Mrs. Hodifer. And he says, my whole future isn't worth this moment. Even as enjoyable as it could have been, even though it wouldn't have felt rejected. My brothers rejected me. And this woman of stature, this woman who, who is the wife of the captain of the guard, she's showing attention to me. But he passed the test of temptation. Potiphar's wife doesn't. She's embarrassed. All the, everybody comes back with a caffeine high and their, their frappuccinos. Thank you, Mrs. Hodifer. She's like, you don't know what happened. Go get my husband. Sure enough, here comes Potiphar. You know, he's got, he's got a burger in his hand with ketchup stain on his shirt. He's like, what, what, babe, what, what? He's like, that Hebrew, that Hebrew you hired, that Hebrew you bought, took advantage of me. And she says this lie about him. And Potiphar finds Joseph, and he throws him in prison. And even in prison, <laughs> Joseph trusts God. What, what, what's crazy is, is, is the way Potiphar gave responsibility to Joseph. It's not long. Even in the jailhouse, Joseph's sweeping stuff up. He's saying, hey, you need help? Hey, can I do anything? Listen to me, Duncan and Dieball. You got gifts. 
It doesn't matter where you are right now. What matters is who God is creating you to become where you are right now. And you can serve in the middle of right where you are, even when you feel like this rejection or this temptation or you failed a test and you find yourself in a place you didn't want to be. I promise you, if you will honor God with your attitude and your actions, people will notice. People will notice. People will notice. You know what? That was a pathetic clap, Lufkin. Give it up for Duncan and Dieball. Give it up, Nacogdoches. Give it up for our guys at Duncan and Dieball. <laughs> so, <laughs> you may not get anything out of this message, but I'm having a good time. I was sick as a dog last week, but I'm ready, baby, today. Okay. Here's what happens. Here's what the Bible says. The jailer just like Potiphar, handed over the entire prison administration to Joseph and had no more worries after that, for Joseph took care of everything. Meanwhile, while Joseph now is hanging out and he's like homies with the warden, in, in Pharaoh's palace, there's this reception that happens or this big dinner and things don't go the way Pharaoh planned and Pharaoh's on edge and he's mad because the wine didn't taste right, the jelly donuts didn't come out on time. And so he takes the wine taster and the chief baker and he says, I'm sick of you guys, you're fired, put him in prison. And so the wine taster and the, the chief uh, baker, they're thrown into the same jail as Joseph. And the jailer says, hey, we got two new recruits today. Can you show them the ropes? And Joseph becomes friends with the wine taster and with the, 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 the baker. And they become friends and they're working. He's helping them out. And, 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 you know, the wine taster says, hey, I just want you to know I'm innocent. Like, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. And the, and, and the chief baker's like, bro, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. And Joseph's like, guys, you're not going to believe this. I'm innocent. And they're like, what? We're the three amigos, innocent on three. One, two, three, innocent. <laughs> and they become buds. And one day over lunch, the cupbearer and the chief baker, they say, Joey, we had this crazy dream. We both had this dream, and, and it's nuts. And what does it mean? And, and, and Joseph says, well, you know what? I... Um, I don't interpret, God can interpret a dream through me, and here's, here's what it sounds like. It's good news for the wine taster, but like the baker, he, be careful if you want your dream interpreted. He said, actually, you're going to die pretty soon. Sorry, bud. Like, like, and, and so they keep on going about their day, and the jelly, bake, you know, the jelly donut baker's like, oh, I'm going to die. What's going on? Well, here's what happens. Pharaoh ends up needing another party thrown, and he's really upset that he threw out his best wine taster and his best baker, so he calls them both back to the palace, and as they're leaving, as they're checking out their stuff, and Joseph's waving behind bars, see you guys, Joseph says, hey, please, would you be kind enough to mention me to the king and help me get out of this prison? Remember, I'm innocent, one, two, three, innocent. And they say, yeah, 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 we got you, Joe. We got you, brothers for life, innocent. But the very next scripture says, but the wine steward never gave Joseph another thought. He forgot all about him. Can I tell you, there is going to be another test. The test of isolation. Where you feel alone. Where you feel like nobody understands. 
where you feel forgotten by the people who you felt should remember you. It's why we say around here, we won't do life alone. Because there's going to be times you feel alone. There's going to be times where you feel isolated. And in those moments, you're going to say to Susie in HR, Hey, how you doing, Janice? I'm fine, Susie. Everything's good. But inside, you're lonely and you're isolated and you're hurting. And we want to be the kind of church that doesn't let people do that. And some of you, you are, you are like, you are professionals at hiding it. And church ought to be a safe place where we can let our guard down instead of put our masks on. And unfortunately, that's what churches have done for years. And I've been guilty of it too, where we put our mask on instead of de-mask and be real. And one of the greatest words we could ever hear is somebody else say, oh, you struggle with that too? Me too. Because we all have that dysfunction. We all have those issues. We all have those tests that we've failed or that we're going through. And Joseph, for two years, is forgotten there in the prison house, sweeping up, helping new recruits, eating the same meal. I wonder if ever Joseph thought back to what seemed like three lifetimes ago, a young little boy who had a, a big, bold dream. A young little boy who would watch his older brother's and say, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. And those same brothers reject him and betray him. And he still just does his best, even while he's incarcerated. Sure enough, God is not done with his story, and he is not done with your story. Pharaoh has a dream in the middle of the night. He wakes up. He's getting his morning cantaloupe and his glass of whatever. And, and the wine taster's there. And, 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 and Pharaoh's like, you, he's talking to his friend. You won't even believe the dream I had last night. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I've I got to figure this thing out. It's driving me crazy. And all of a sudden, the wine taster says, oh, my God, I completely forgot and the wine taster says, Pharaoh, my king, when I was in prison, there was a guy in there. He interprets dreams. And Pharaoh says, in prison? What are you talking about? I know it's crazy. Hear me out. You've got, you, you, you've got to send for him. His name, uh, John, John, Jack, Jack, jo, jo, Joseph. His name is Joseph. And he's in, that, he's in the captain of the guard's prison. He said, go get him. Could you imagine that moment? The sound of the key unlocking that, that prison bar door. Joseph, you've been summoned to the palace from the pit to becoming a prisoner to Potiphar's house, back to a prisoner, and now he's being summoned to the palace. I'm telling you, from a dream received to a dream realized, there's going to be some testing and Joseph shows up after having a clean shave and some new clothes and a shower. Bless God, he's there ready to talk to, to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, here's the dream. What does it mean? Long story short, the dream meant this. And here's what Joseph says. There's going to be seven years of high rolling. What? Crazy stocks going up through the roof, making it rain years in Egypt. Seven years, we're going to live like crazy. 
But then there's going to be seven years of unreal death and famine. Seven years, you're not even going to know. People are going to go crazy. Everything's going to skyrocket. Inflation's going to be like you've never seen before. Seven years of unbelievable success. You're not even going to believe that it could happen to you. And then seven years of unbelievable, everything breaks down. And here's what God's saying to you. Store up now. Don't be stupid. Store up the grain now so that later all these other kingdoms, all these other villages, everybody else, you'll have enough and they'll come to you. And Pharaoh's like, I like this guy. Mm, I like this. I like the seven years for sure. (laughs) And here's what Pharaoh does. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I hereby, Joseph, put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Are you kidding me? Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Mr. T. Joseph's walking around. The wine taster's like, I finally had your bag. He said, yeah, after 24 months, dork. He's like, that's all right. One, two, three. Here this is. Put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a Mercedes chariot. As his second in command, and people shout. I mean, he's through the streets. <laughs> Joseph. Jojo. And people shouted before him, Make way, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Seven years of success. And then years begin of unreal death and destruction and famine. There's no water. There's no crops. Things dry up. And his family that lives many, many miles down into the desert in the land of Canaan, they are struggling and they're close to death themselves. Little do they know that Joseph is now the ruler in Egypt, the second in charge, And Jacob says to his boys, boys, I need you to go down to Pharaoh, to Egypt. We're going to die. Jacob Enterprises is going under if we don't get a loan from Egypt. I need you to go down. I need you to talk to them. I need you to see if we can get some grain just to survive. And the 11 boys, they get a caravan. They go in and they walk through an unbelievable, beautiful, royal palace atrium into an ornate ornate beautiful throne room and there a man sits on a throne who's got a gold chain around his neck and a ring on his finger and beautiful robe and they come in in awe of everything and those 11 they they bow they bow down before that commander and they barely can raise their eyes and they don't even know who they're they don't even know who he is but Joseph knows can I tell you some of you have been hurt by people they'll never know they hurt you but you know you know and in this moment Joseph's got an awesome test headed his way we thought it was going to be okay from this point out he had all the physical accoutrements of success but he's got another test and it's the test of retribution here's what retribution means Retribution basically means a punishment inflicted on someone as vengeance for a wrong or criminal act. They're bowing down before him. 
They don't even know who he is, but he recognizes them immediately. And he's like, hey, everybody, I want to hear your plea. I've got a phone call. Give me just a second. And he walks behind the throne and he goes, ah! Oh my God! gathers himself he gathers himself and he <clears throat> gets back in front of the throne and he says what do you want and I, I like how he milks it for a little bit like, like he, does, he doesn't quite come out and say <laughs> surprise you know they probably would all just die like uh uh but he goes through a few things and fin finally finally he says, guys, look up here. And he takes the chain off. And he takes a towel and he wipes off the Pharaoh-looking makeup. He pulls the crown off. And there's a gasp in the brotherhood. He takes the robe off. He says, guys, it's me. It's me. And they are scared to death of what's going to happen next. We're so sorry. We, we were so sorry. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I mean, they, they, are, they are sorry now. Joseph has the opportunity. There are armed guards in that throne room. Off with their heads. Get these guys out of my... Get, go, throw, go find a well and throw every single one of these suckers down it. That's not how Joseph responds. He says, whoa, God did all this, put it all together. Doesn't, doesn't rub it in their face. Joseph says this, I know you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Here's what Joseph is saying. I know you're the ones that threw me in the well, but you're not the ones that put me in the palace. I know Potiphar put me in prison, but, but God sustained me. I, I know I've gone through a lot of places, but it really wasn't Potiphar, and it really wasn't you, and it really wasn't Pharaoh, and it really wasn't, you know, Craig, the wine taster. It was God this whole time. God has been putting me in a position over time to come back face to face with you to accomplish what God intended to do. And what did God accomplish? What did God intend to accomplish? Joseph says it. The saving of many lives. It was the whole purpose for the test. And can I tell you, God wants to develop. You got gifts and you got dreams, but your character is still being developed. You keep on allowing God to use you and create you and mold you and challenge you and even refine you in some fire. But become who God has called you to become because your life can be a mouthpiece of the saving of many lives. Joseph passed the test. So, so I want to I finish with this question here. I want to finish with this question. Okay, it's not in your notes, but I want you to write it down, okay? Who, who am I in this story? Who are, you, who are you in this story? Can I tell you who everybody wants to be in the story? Joseph, <laughs> like, 
I mean, we don't want to go through all the junk, but we do want the, like, you know, the cool ending story like Joseph. We want to pass the test. We want to be recognized for the gifts that we bring to the table. We want to be Joseph. But, but I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can, as pastoral as I can say it to you. You may just want to jot this same statement down. I want you to hear this with the love and sincerity. Everybody write it down. You ain't Joseph. You ain't Joseph in the story. In fact, humanity is every other person in this story. See, the truth is, you're more like the brothers than you are like Joseph. Where you've let an attitude lead you to a place you didn't want to go. You're more like Potiphar's wife who feels rejected or isolated. And you've been tempted by something. You're like Potiphar, who maybe you've been sidetracked, you've been distracted. You've been distracted by this and that and the other, and you have neglected the more important things in your life. Maybe you're like the wine taster who made a promise but then broke it because he was more concerned about what he was going through, and he failed to remember other people. You're a lot of people in this story, and so am I, but let me tell you who we ain't. We ain't Joseph. But can I tell you who is Joseph in this story? Jesus is Joseph. And you don't serve a Joseph today. You serve a greater Joseph. You serve a Jesus. Because Jesus, on your best day, there's no way that you can pass all those tests with perfection. Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. In fact, Jesus says it like this. The stone the builders rejected. Jesus was the stone the builders rejected. Building a fireplace. Got the stone stacked up right here. They pick this stone. They're going to use it like, oh, that one's got some defect. They toss the stone aside. It's not even worth it for the fireplace. That's Jesus in the hands of humanity. The stone the builders rejected. But Jesus says, I'm the stone that the builders might reject, but actually I'm going to become the cornerstone. I'm going to be the stone that puts it all together. I'm going to be the most important piece of everything. He passed the test of rejection. Jesus understands isolation. Before Jesus is ever crucified, in hundreds of years before in prophecy, it's written in Isaiah, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be isolated. We turn the other way. I mean, look, when he could have had retribution, when he could have put it on us, the punishment on us, on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, not Father, get them. Father, kill them. No, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing he understood retribution and he laid upon himself the iniquity of us all. Jesus is the better Joseph. Ultimately, the book of Hebrews says it like this. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But that high priest, Jesus, was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He passed the test of temptation and the author of Hebrews finishes that line by saying, So, let us therefore, 
because in your own strength, you can't, you can't cut it. And can I tell you something? Just like it says in the Message Bible in Matthew 3, when you feel like you are at the end of the rope, it's the best place God could have you because that's where his strength comes in. Are you at the bottom? Are you worn out? Are you tired? Are you feeling a little isolated, rejected, tempted? Maybe you got a little revenge in your bones. I'm going to tell you, it's the best place to feel like you're at the bottom because it's when Jesus, in our weakness, he does his best work. While we're still sinners, he dies for us. And so let's come boldly to that throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You can't be Joseph on your own, but Jesus in you, Jesus in you, you can pass the test. All locations, would you bow your heads with me, close your eyes, let's pray. Our campus pastors are gonna join me up at the front. I'm asking you, please don't move from where you are, just in this moment, let's do business with God. If you're here today at one of our locations, I want you to know Jesus isn't mad at you. You feel like you failed. You feel like you didn't pass the test. Hey, join the club. We all have been there. The pastor's been there. And nobody's perfect. But Jesus is. And he'll give you the strength you need. If you're here today, and first and foremost, the only way you can engage the strength of God in your life is by inviting him to be your God, inviting him to be the center and the savior of your life. And if that's you today, and maybe at one time you were strong, but you've drifted or you've never said, Jesus, would you be my Lord and savior? I don't want to just hear about you. I want to really follow you. If you're here today and that's you and you need to surrender to God today, I want to pray with you. And if that's you, just, just put a hand right up in the air. All locations, just put a hand. I need to surrender to God today. Yeah. Here at location, here at Lufkin, there in Knack and Dival and Duncan, you can put your hands down. In your own words, you say, Jesus, would you, would you be my Lord and Savior? I can't fix my mistakes. I definitely can't fix my sin. Sin separates me from you, and I, I can't pass that test on my own. I need you to forgive me and give me a fresh start. Give me the strength that I don't have. I, will you help me with my next steps? I surrender to you. I surrender to you, Jesus. Maybe you just whisper that. I surrender to you, Jesus. Maybe we all just need to remind ourselves just one more time. Just, sit, just, 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 just whisper it to the Lord. I surrender to you, Jesus. If you're here and you're going through one of those tests, a rejection, isolation, temptation, you name it, or you're just your own test, and you say, I need Jesus to be strong in me because I'm not very strong right now. If that's you, would you just put a hand up all over the locations? I, I need Jesus to help right now. You love him, but you're struggling. Yeah, 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 me too. Me too. God, thank you that you will not leave us. You will not forsake us. You have not abandoned us. You have not forgotten us, but you are there with us, for us. And you are mighty to save. And the dreams you've placed in us early on, we may have detoured. We may have, maybe we feel like there's no way coming back. But God, you are a, you are a God that can make all things new. God, I pray you would give strength and courage to those in the room that need to pass the test and that they would realize they're not going to bite their bottom lip hard enough and pass it. They need to lean on you and not their own understanding. We go palms up with you today. We trust you. Now, thank you, God, 
that you are not just a God of the, the Bible stories, but you are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And you're not just like a Joseph. You are the Savior of humanity. And we thank you that you put all things together for the saving of many lives. And when we felt like it couldn't get any worse, you show up and you fix broken things. You heal hurting things. You mend wounds. You are able to do what we just can't. That's why you're Jesus. That's why you're the Savior. And that's why today we put our hope and our trust in you. And we say it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen.